Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin Healthcare, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospitals, and Minnesota's Level 1 Adult and Pediatric Trauma Center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden, internal medicine physician with Hennepin Healthcare, with more Healthy Matters. Yes, indeed. Good morning. Welcome to more of Healthy Matters on this uh, Sunday morning. Your host, Dr. David Hilden, is with us. Good morning, doctor. Good morning, Denny. Nice to see you. Have a good week. I did have a good week. Yeah. Uh, you and I both, uh, not that the show is about us, but it's uh, it uh, is fighting us, allergies. <laughs> now, I, I was talking to Dennis this morning, and I thought, boy, I'm having trouble with the sneezing and the whole thing. And I'm thinking, it could be a cold. We had the question before a thousand times. How do you know if it's not a cold, if it's just allergy? Absolutely. You wait a week? <laughs> Absolutely. You wait a week, pretty much. That's actually a good answer. You can do my job. <laughs> no, no. No. <laughs> no, I actually had a very big week relative to allergy. It's it's good you brought that up. I'm glad you did. I started my first series of allergy shots well, you this did. past um, Thursday. And uh, so when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I was sniffing and sneezing, and my mom and dad took me to the allergy um, person, and I got allergy shots. But I w- that was in like 1970, a little bit ago. And and now the last, I'd say, 10, 15, 20 years, I get really stuffy at night, and I think I'm not the only one who might relate to this. I just get stuffy at nighttime. And um, and so I went back to my good friend and frequent guest on this show, John Sweet. Well, Dr. Yeah, Sweet sure. is, a, is a great allergist, and he did skin testing. Sure enough, I'm still allergic to uh, a lot of things, um, uh, mostly dust mites. And, yes. and boy, that's not a that's a gruesome conversation when you hear about where the dust mites are in your house. So I'm doing everything to dust mite proof my bedroom. I'm actually vacuuming the house. That's a new. That's a new thing I'm doing. Right. Housework is never done. <laughs> and then I'm getting the allergy shots. So I got yeah. my first round of them last Thursday. Do they, they take effect pretty quickly? Or I don't no? know. I think you know. So what they are is they desensitize you to the thing that made you allergic. So huh. they start out with a little teeny dose of, in this case, dust mites, and then they wait a little while, and then you can do it once a week for like 20 weeks. But I'm doing the accelerated program. I'm in the gifted and talented allergy <laughs> program where they do three weeks in one morning. Wow. And so I sit there and they give you the shots and you go sit in the waiting room and read a book. And then you go back in and, you know, half hour, an hour, and you get the second set. And then you go sit in the waiting room and you do it three times. So I've had my first three doses. And so far, no, I haven't noticed any. Okay. Yet, but I have to get way up higher. You have to go weeks after weeks after weeks. And then the idea is that my body will no longer fight those things anymore. And hopefully huh. – Hopefully I won't be so stuffy at night, and my wife will be happy about that because she says I, I, I'm all stuffy. 
So if you, you know, I'll, I'll keep listeners posted. I, I will. It's a good about idea. How it's going because I'm, I'm kind of like my own. It's, I'm not an experiment. They've been doing this for on zillions of people. But for me, we'll see if it's a change. Right, we'll have to bring Dr. Sweet back, too. We should bring him yeah. on, and we'll talk about how, you know, what, what, what are you doing to me, Dr. Sweet? Is that helping? And Especially with spring coming up uh, one of these days. Yeah, because a lot of people really hit it in the spring. This is an open line show. That means your general health questions. We're not going to talk about any particular topic. So this is your chance to uh, ask your health question by phone and by text. Uh, 651-989-9226. If you want to talk to with Dr. Hilden, or otherwise send Dr. Hilden a text. 81807, 81807, or as I said, call us at 651-989-9226. Text uh, just came in, what kicks in cat allergies? Is it dander or what? Yeah, so as long as we're on the allergy topic, let's go right to the first texter. Yeah, it is. Um, they're, they're, um, and I found I have some cat dander allergies, so it's, yeah, it is, it's the... Um, it could be other things, but in, in pets, it's generally their dander that that you know kind of they sloughing off their skin and, and their fur and all that. What what Doctor Sweet told me is that there's a there's different groups of allergies. Um, I have um, a few of them. Though indoor allergies are generally dust mites, which are microscopic little critters that live on f- mostly fabric mm-hmm. um, in your house, so on your pillow, your bed sheets, your mattress, your curtains, your clothing, that kind of stuff. And um, that's one group of them. And then there's molds, and then there's the cat and dog dander. That's generally what it what it's from on those. And then there's the outdoor allergies. That's the stuff that people call hay fever, things like um, trees, trees, pollens, um, things that are outside. And those go. You can be from grass seeds and tree seeds or tree pollen. You can have flower pollen. You know, later in the year. You can have all those things. And then way back in the fall, you get like hay fever from ragweed and weeds like that. So it's the indoor stuff. It's the outdoor stuff. It's the pet stuff. It's the mold stuff. And then, of course, there's this huge category of food allergies, which I didn't even get into. I don't think I have those. That's generally a little bit different. But, uh, yeah, that's what it is with the dogs and the cats. And and I have a black lab mutt mix. <laughs> and unfortunately, John Sweet, my friend, the, the doctor said, yeah, you have a little bit of allergy to your dog. And and as he has said on this radio show, he said, no one's ever gotten rid of their pet because of their allergist told them to. They get rid of their allergist before they get rid of their pet. So <laughs> no, yeah. I'm not getting rid of Zoe the dog. <laughs> um, but I'll just take antihistamines. We'll brush her often. We'll vacuum the, and you'll dust the Curtains and the ceiling fans. No one thinks of the ceiling. That's fan, a good point. I don't. We have ceiling fans throughout throughout our hundred year old house, and and uh, you got to dust the blades. Who knew you had to dust the blades of your ceiling fans? I don't even dust the furniture, much less the ceiling. Fans. <laughs> you have more work to do. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. All right, six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. It's an open line show. Let's go to the phones. Hugh and Orono is first up here. Go ahead, Hugh. What is your question, please? I love your show. Listen to it every week. Thank hey, you. thanks a lot. Yeah, so I recently had a physical, went down to the Mayo Clinic. I've never had high blood pressure. I come back, and all of a sudden, I have high blood pressure, and the reason was the doctor says they've changed the standards, um, which is pretty concerning that he's saying I now have to do all these different things because the standards have changed, whereas just a year ago I was perfectly healthy. I wanted to get your sense about needing to 
changed my life just because all of a sudden someone changes the standards. That's, on a, these high blood pressure that's a super good question. Hugh, I'll bet your blood pressure is like 137 or something like that. And they told <laughs> Uh, it's so funny. It's 132 over 88. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can almost predict where yours are going to be. So that is a that's a absolutely fantastic question because it's a little it's a little of both actually. Yes, indeed, some of the um, so-called experts they really are experts, but it's just not all of them um, have recommended that we treat high blood pressure at lower levels. In other words, we don't tolerate even people in the 130s, which is where you are. Um, previously it was more 140s. 140 or higher, pretty much everybody wants to treat that, um, get that down. But now they're thinking we'd, re- we'd really prefer you be less than 130 for that high number. The reason being is that it is well known that strokes, kidney disease, and heart disease, the three biggies, all are worse the higher your blood pressure is. So 121 is worse than 120. 130 is worse than 129. So the higher, the worse it is. We just know that. There's sort of an almost linear relationship. High is bad. But the problem is um, the risk that goes up is very small um, from 129 to 131. And there is some risk to lowering blood pressure too much. Uh, uh, it's sort of got what we call a J-shaped distribution. You can, we certainly don't want you too high, but you can actually get too low. And if you treat everybody in the world with a blood pressure of 132, like Hughes is, like the callers, you're going to drop a few of them too low, and there's going to be some side effects. So, so you got to be a little bit more judicious. So not everybody has completely um, adopted the new guidelines. What I would suggest to people, okay, before I go on, there's one other thing. As you age, your blood pressure rises. So just because you didn't have high blood pressure at age 40, you might at age 50. And just because you didn't at 50, you might at 60. Your, your, your blood vessels are like rubber garden hoses. They're flexible. They're muscular. They have to expand and contract every time your heart beats. Well, as we age, that garden hose turns a little bit into a pipe and, and the pressure goes up. So even if you had mild blood pressure elevations before or normal before, chances are if you're 80 years old, you have high blood pressure. So there's also that. So what we do is if you we ask people who have mildly elevated blood pressure to look at your other risk factors. Do you also have high cholesterol? Do you also smoke? Are you well overweight? Are you sedentary? Did your father die of a heart attack when he was young or your mother? Um, those are other risk factors, and if you have a constellation of those risk factors, then we might suggest treating your blood pressure at a much lower level, like in the 130s. So that's a long, rambling thing to say that it's more individualized now. The new guidelines did come out about a year ago, um, and uh, that's what I suggest people do. What I really suggest you do is go to my blog site, uh, myhealthymatters.org. It's all one word, myhealthymatters.org. Just put in the search term hypertension or blood pressure. I've written two posts about this very topic. I wrote one a couple of years ago about blood pressure, and then I wrote an update to it with the new blood pressure guidelines. I think I called that that post 130 is the new 140 or something like that. So for you, Hugh, it sounds like I wouldn't start treating your blood pressure at this, but I don't know enough about you. But that's kind of a... a the, the, the landscape around high blood pressure. The guidelines did go down. They're not for everybody. 
find out what your risk is for heart disease. And if you have a high risk, then you might be more aggressive in treating it. All right, tell you what, Doctor, we need to take a quick break here. We have more show to come. Uh, it's an open line show. Your phone calls and text messages, folks on the line, stay there. Texters, that number is 81807. Uh, we're going to take this break. We'll be right back. 29 is our CCO temperature reading, heading for 33 later today. And good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. It's an open line show today. Your text messages for Dr. Hilden and phone calls. And as you can see, Doctor, we have plenty of both. Let's grab some phone calls. Folks have been waiting there. Bill and Henriette. Bill, what's your question for the doctor? Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Hey, Dr. Hilden, I've got a very off-the-wall question for you. Um, I was uh, doing my medications last night in my pill box, and I had a lot of my pill bottles that were ready to throw away and my question is is with uh, security in mind how everybody's worried about um, uh, the personal information falling into the wrong hands can information on a pharmacy bottle somehow be used to find personal information I mean should we be ripping that information out the bottles it's a good question, Bill, and uh, thanks for your call. Um, y- your personal information is all over that bottle. Um, now, uh, and so my my suggestion is, yeah, um, and even yeah, I would take I would probably take the labels off only because you know I don't know how how much they can track back to your social security number and your passport and your bank accounts, but I think common sense might suggest darn near anything's possible. Generally, on your prescription bottle, your name is on there. Your doctor's name is on there. Certainly, your medications are on there, so that information's out there to the whole world. And often, a medical record number's on there or your date of birth, so there there would be private information on there. And if somebody had some nefarious um, motivations, they could grab your pill bottles out of the your garbage or, re, or, or I should say your recycle bin. You should recycle them. They're plastic. And... And I guess they could reverse engineer that back to you. My suggestion is, yes, take your labels off. All right. Very good. Uh, let's see who is next. Mark is calling from uh, St. Louis Park, I believe. Mark, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning. How can we help you? Um, I had carpal tunnel surgery about a year ago, and I still have the symptoms. And I got a, uh ultrasound, and they said the surgery went well, but uh, it's still not right. And I also got an injection about three or four weeks ago and nothing's improved. What's my next step? Hey, Mark, before before you um, go, do you do anything like either with your occupation or in your life that that uses your hands or arms a lot? No. You don't? Okay. So the, the first thing I tell people with carpal tunnel, if possible, is stop whatever that you're doing. So if you happen to operate a jackhammer, you know, that's always the extreme example. But even you know, piano players, computer people, people who type all day long, um, people who use hand tools, drills, or even screwdrivers or a, a crescent wrench, those things where you have to grab things and turn and twist. So to the degree you can knock those things off, that's good. Um, the retinacular re- release surgery, that's what it's called, um, your retinaculum was cut. It was released to allow your, your median nerve to breathe a little bit. Um, that is usually one of the longer down the road steps. I often recommend that people put their wrist in a neutral position. In other words, go to go to the drugstore or you know, your your big box store, get a Velcro brace for your hands, 
and put it, you put it around your wrist. It holds your wrist straight out so your wrist isn't bending or flexing and it, um, when you're sleeping. So wear it as much as you can, particularly at night. So wear a brace on your wrist every single night and as much of the day as you can tolerate. Do that. You can try the injections there uh, like you have, but they're relatively ineffective. The next step I would go to then is one of two. I would go to a physical therapist. We talked a couple of them last week on the on this show, although we didn't cover carpal tunnel. But I would go to a physical therapist next or a hand therapist, particularly one who specializes in the hands. And I might try acupuncture. That would be my next two steps. So neutral wrist braces, anti-inflammatory, anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen, and a hand therapist or acupuncturist. Those would be your next steps. Okay. Dr. Hill, in a text, wants to know who's uh, he or she is scheduled for a gallbladder surgery. Are there any problems living without a gallbladder? Not for most people. You can um, many of our organs. You kind of have to have. You sort of have to have your liver, but uh, your li- the gallbladder you can live without. If once your gallbladder is out, you might have a little trouble digesting fatty foods, but that's about it. Here's the purpose of the gallbladder: the human being, the human um, liver. All day long is making digestive juices. It helps us digest our food, and it's dribbling out of your liver all the time. But the problem is we don't eat all the time. We're not cattle. We're not grazing all day long. Like in the animal kingdom where animals are eating 20 hours of the day, like a cow, we're eating three times a day. But those juices are being created in your liver all day long. So what your gallbladder does is those bile juices go into your gallbladder. It's a little sack, and they sit there, and they get concentrated. And then when you eat, miraculously, in my opinion, your gallbladder knows that you ate, and it squeezes the juices out into your intestines right at the time that the food's hitting your intestines so that the digestive enzymes and juices land in your intestines at the same time the food does, and it digests better. Without your gallbladder, your liver will still make all those juices. The gallbladder doesn't make them. It just stores them. Your liver will continue to make them and dribble them into your intestine continuously. So those juices are in your intestines. But if you eat a big fatty meal, for instance, they might not be concentrated enough, and you might have a little bit loose stools. But the vast majority of people who get their gallbladder out don't miss it. You can do okay without it. All right, I know we have to break shortly. We have another half hour of the show to go. I want to get Bruce's call, a question answered here. Bruce in Minnetonka. Good morning, Bruce. The doctor's listening. Good morning. Long-time listener. First-time patient at HCM. Hey, thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Bruce, for both. I wanted to talk to you about my doctor, Dr. Geisler. She's a hand orthopedic surgeon. Jackie Geisler. She's been on the show a couple of times. She is so excellent. I was injured at 9 o'clock in the morning here in Minnetonka. I got uh, down to your facility. The, the, EM, uh, the emergency people took care of me. They, several doctors came in, looked at my hand. Um, I asked to have surgery done that day. They called Dr. Geisler. She said, I'll be over right after office hours. She did my surgery. I was out of there by 2 o'clock the next day. Oh, <laughs> Bruce, uh, Bruce, thank you for your call. You know, um, I know Dr. Geisler. She trained in, I think, Southern California. She's a Midwest person. She is a hand specialist. So if you got something wrong with your arm and your hand, she's one of the best there is. And um, 
Um, I'm glad you're. Yeah, do we have? To, can I ask Bruce? We have about, you, about, we have about 30, uh, thirty. Just in a second, are you doing okay now, Bruce? I'm I'm recovering as well as I can, considering the severity of my injury. But I'm I'm making steady progress. Outstanding. Thank you for a for listening to the show and b for your comments. I would I would concur with that. Um, some of our orthopedic surgeons and Jackie's one of them. Um, Doctor Geisler is one of them. Um, do some of the best work in town. So I really do appreciate your call, Bruce, and best wishes for a full recovery. Um, let's let's cross our fingers for that. Thank you, Bruce, and as Doctor Hilden said, thanks for listening too. Uh, 20, 29 is our uh, Twin City temperature reading. We're going to take a break. We have another half hour of the show to go. Uh, if you want to call in and folks on the line, hang on. Uh, and uh, send us a text if that's easier for you. The text number is 81807, or give us a call, 651-989-9226. Heading for near 33 degrees in the Twin Cities right now, as he said, it's 29. Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin Healthcare, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's Level 1 Adult and Pediatric Trauma Center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden. Internal medicine physician with Hennepin Healthcare with more Healthy Matters. And good morning. Welcome back to more Healthy Matters. This is an open line show today. That means your phone calls and text messages the rest of the way. 651 989 9226. Text is 81807. As you can see, Dr. Hilden, we have a bunch of calls and a lot of text and messages. Indeed, we do. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Hey, can I, I, do I have a yeah, second? I could talk sure. about a couple things. The first thing, a guy named Bill came by the hospital this week. I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to meet you, Bill. But uh, uh, those that you did meet, Bill Bill came by and stopped by and said that he, that he makes uh, listening to this show a part of his Sunday mornings. And I just wanted to give a shout out. Bill, I hope you're listening. I hope you know who you are. Thanks for coming by the hospital campus and, and, and saying hi. Um, and, and more importantly, thank you for listening to the show. Say, last week we talked to physical therapists. We talked to Beth Tagora and Kelly Retman, a couple of doctors of physical therapy, and we talked about a number of topics and way more than I could cover on the show. So I wanted to do two follow-up points for that. The first is that we talked a lot about women's incontinence. And uh, Dr. Stagora is an expert in women's incontinence. But you know what? Men also experience pelvic discomfort, groin pain, urinary problems, pain in the legs. They can affect men of all ages. And so I wanted to say there are resources for you as well, guys. Male physical, um, um, male pelvic health can also be treated by a physical therapy. So um, give us a holler at 612-873-6963, men and women for physical therapy. The second thing I wanted to follow up was is that uh, uh, I wanted to give you a little bit more taste about physical therapy and what it can do for you. So I picked a few topics from last week's show, and I am back on the blog site. It's called MyHealthyMatters.org. Um, a bunch of you did look at it last week and have signed up by email. So I would encourage uh, those of you who are listening, go to MyHealthyMatters.org, all one word, MyHealthyMatters.org, and check out the, the post I did. There's some pictures on there about physical therapy. Um, I've got a couple of in-studio shots of the therapist guests from last week, Beth and Kelly. 
and there's some uh, helpful links there as well. While you're on the blog site, just dig around through the old uh, the old posts. There's been there's over a hundred other topical posts that I have written over the years. So it's myhealthymatters.org. You can also um, get links to the hospital there. You can get links to the physical therapy department right from that post. So if you want to get more information about physical therapy, you just click the links that I have on the post, and it'll take you to the website for the physical therapy department where there's just a host of information about all the things they see at the physical therapy department, including men's and women's pelvic health, lymphedema, orthopedic injuries, and more and more and more. So go to myhealthymatters.org. Very good. Now let's get back to the phone callers and texters. Uh, Dave and Jackson has been waiting. Thanks, Dave. What is your question, please? Thanks for taking my call. Uh, my question is, I take the high blood pressure uh, pill, Losartan. Yeah, Losartan. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I've seen some comments on TV recently that it's a cancer causer. Is that true? Uh, no, but but you have seen some things about that. The sartans, anything that ends in a sartan, S-A-R-T-A-N, are in the class of medicines called angiotensin receptor blockers, or sorry, aldosterone receptor blockers, and they are very effective for both heart failure and for high blood pressure. What you are hearing about in the news is that there was a manufacturer, um, I don't know where, somewhere in the world, and some of the the Sartan medications had an additive or a, a byproduct of the manufacturing process that was uh, uh, potentially had some harmful substances in it. So I want to make so what I would do if you're taking that medication is simply call your pharmacist and see if the one that you have came from that factory in India or wherever it was. I think it was actually in India. Um, and if you don't, keep taking it. But but the recommendation is to everybody taking low sartan or the related ones, keep taking it, regardless of where it comes from. But I would maybe just call to see if you can uh, see you, the source of yours. Low sartan itself, the medication itself, the active ingredient is not only safe, it's highly effective at doing what it was intended to do. It's the additives. It's the, I don't even know what it was, preservatives, additives, something in the manufacturing process contaminated some of the pills. So call your pharmacist. That's my suggestion. All right. Very good. Phyllis is calling from Young America. Phyllis, thank you for waiting. What is your question, please? Yes. uh, I have been diagnosed with chronic subjective dizziness by Dr. Staub at Mayo Clinic, and I saw him in 2015. I had a very bad vertigo attack in 2012, and uh, this was brought on by a vestibular migraine attack. I'm looking for a support group and any ideas on treatment. The only treatment really was the Dizzy and Balance Center and also Zoloft. Is there anything else that you can tell me about this? Yeah, great questions, Phyllis. Um, So dizziness is a tough one because uh, it can either be due to a structural problem that we can see either visualize or we can see it on MRI. Um, and, and that's a good news, bad news. It's bad news because you've got something structurally wrong with you, a tumor or something. It's good news because you can often treat it. The vast majority of people, though, don't have anything we can see. There's nothing you can take a picture of, an X-ray of, an MRI of, and you, and, and, but rather it's a dysfunction of the neurovascular system and often of the inner ear. And so those are harder to treat. Um, and it's likely what you have. But it can be very debilitating. 
Uh, so there are some medications, but I will be honest that they don't work all that great. You can try meclizine. You can try the things that people take for seasickness because they work in the same way. The Zoloft is one way, but I don't know that that's going to do a whole lot for you either. What I really recommend you do is see a physical therapist. It's sort of a dovetail onto last week's show. Um, uh, the most healthcare systems, I know Mayo has this. Um, I know we certainly do. We have a great one at Hennepin. Um, a, a team of physical therapists who do vestibular treatments. Because since there's nothing for them to cut out or take out or there's nothing to medicate away, they can do um, uh, physical therapy treatments, which have been shown to be quite effective. So that's the first thing I would do if you're not. I would continue to go to a vestibular specialist. And we use the word vestibule, vestibular. That means inner ear for complicated reasons. <laughs> but um, you might try uh, us here in the Twin Cities. I would go to Hennepin um, and go to, my, go to myhealthymatters.org. There's a link right to them on, on the physical therapy site. I know Mayo has that. And all the other healthcare systems have vestibular people as well in their physical therapy department. The second thing I might try is, again, like I've said to somebody else, acupuncture. It sounds like I'm, I'm a big proponent of acupuncture. I don't know. Um, what the data show. I don't know what the scientific evidence is for acupuncture, but I do know that many people get relief. And it's been doing, they've been doing it for thousands of years in the eastern half of the world and the other half, and there must be something to that. It is completely safe. There's almost no downside to acupuncture, and there's a potentially big upside. Right. So you might try that as well. And thank you for your call. Yes, thanks, Phyllis. Uh, Rich has been waiting there in International Falls to ask you a question. Go ahead, Rich. Thank you. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Uh, I'm reading and hearing things about uh, andropause or male menopause. Is it? I'm seeing arguments. It's a, it, it's real or it's just some idiopathic issue. Just wanted your view. Yeah, good question, and thanks for your call, Rich. Well, is it? Um, my take on it is this: it is real to people who are experiencing changes in their life. That's real, and that can happen to men as well. I don't think it's real in terms of a physiological change in your hormones that happened um, in an analogy to women. It's, it's not like what women have who have a relatively rapid dropping off of their hormone levels at the time of menopause because something very physiologic is happening in women. Their ovaries have stopped working. And the hormones that, that do that decades-long process of ovulation and reproductive health in women does relatively rapidly stop. When I say relatively, it doesn't happen overnight, but it happens over a year or two or three, and that is female menopause and is a very physiological change. Men don't have a similar thing, but they do have a longer progressive loss of their reproductive hormones, such as testosterone, that does go down over the years. Um, from when you were 20 to when you're 60 to when you're 80. That does occur, but it happens over a great long period of time. And there do come changes to a, male, a man's body. Your muscle mass does drop a little bit. You might get more fatigued. You might have some mood changes. Um, all of that is real, even if it isn't due to something similar to women. So I don't use the term andropause. I don't use the term male menopause. But I think it's very important to recognize that men's bodies do change as well. Their mood definitely changes. Some of the biggest group of people who are depressed later is older men. 
That is a huge group of people, and I think we have to acknowledge that. And so I, I do recommend seeing – I don't recommend like an endocrine workup, a hormone workup. You don't need your testosterone checked probably. What you need is good primary care. You need good mental health care. You need to exercise. You need to stay healthy because men can be vigorous and, and active until the day they die at age 100 or 102. So you need to get good medical care. I don't think it's anything that requires a specific attention from like a hormone doctor. All right. We need to take a quick break here. We have more show to come. It's, uh, it's an open line show today here on Healthy Matters, 651-989-9226. Text number is 81807. Overcast, 28 degrees currently, heading for a high in the Twin Cities today, 33. And good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. It's an open line show today. Text messages and phone calls the rest of the way. In fact, I know, Doctor, you have a bunch of text messages. Yeah, let me do what I can here on sure. some text. Here's the one that says, I have never smoked but have been hearing some po- some positive message about Juul, J-U-U-L, and I'm considering trying it. What do you think? Juul is a... Um, an amazingly successful company. They have like 75% of the electronic cigarette market, and I am of mixed feelings about it. Here's who it might benefit. If you are a current adult smoker and you are smoking combustible cigarettes, Juul or electronic cigarettes are a good alternative to you. They're much, much, much safer than cigarettes. So if, but that is very important. That is if you're already an adult smoker. The other half of that is electronic cigarettes are not at all safe for um, teenagers. In fact, you are four times more likely to become a cigarette smoker if you are an adolescent who does juuling. So it is not, not, not safe for adolescents. Um, And then I also might add, it's not safe for anybody. It's better to do none of the above. Um, It is probably toxic to you just you know, to everybody. But if you're an adult smoker, it is at least safer than cigarettes. But I wouldn't recommend anybody do an electronic cigarette unless you are trying actively to quit and it might help you quit. All right. All right. Here's another texter that says, um, doctor, I'm on allopurinol for gout and I'm having another flare. Why? The allopurinol is still a good preventive medication for gout. You should keep taking it. Chances are you're either not on a high enough dose. That is probably true. Or your diet is too high in meats and beer and things like that. Or you're on diuretics that make you dehydrated. So don't stop your allopurinol if you're getting a gout flare. It's not perfect. Um, But do, after your flare is over, talk to your doctor about whether your dose is high. Do look at your diet and things like that. Here's another text that says, Hi, I've had reflux symptoms since Christmas. Pressure in the chest feels like something is stuck in my throat. Zantac did nothing. Now I'm on day eight of Nexium over the counter. Maybe a little better, but still having the same symptoms. Is there something else to try or time to see the doctor? What can they do? Thank you. Love the show. Thank you um, to this texter. What I tell people who have heartburn symptom is, first of all, if it's brand new for you, make sure it's, it is reflux and it's not your actual heart. So you might want to make sure someone's listened to your heart and done an EKG. But if you have determined that it is heartburn from reflux, I would give the Nexium a couple of weeks. Um, and, and like you're doing, give it two, three, four weeks. But then, yes, you should see a gastroenterologist to eventually get an upper endoscopy. Long-standing reflux might need to be treated with um, uh, antacid medicines like Nexium for the long haul. Of course, you don't want to be on something you don't have to be on, though. But, but you get an upper endoscopy to see if there's any damage to your esophagus. 
The damage is where the, the cells of your esophagus are not intended to have acid in them and they get irritated and they, get, they start to change and they start to grow in weird ways and sometimes they can grow into cancer cells. So do get an upper endoscopy if you've had reflux symptoms that are not, not going away after several weeks. Here's one that says, I'm a 59-year-old woman who was recently diagnosed with osteoporosis. I was prescribed Boniva, which I take once a month, and I'm always wondering what your opinion, how much calcium and D should I be taking? Um, most of us should be taking 400 to 800 units of vitamin D every day, um, and that's what I would suggest to you, although every patient is different. There is not a lot of evidence about what's the right amount, I have to be honest. And we have stopped checking vitamin D in most people. I don't check. Everybody around here is low. Everybody in the Northern Hemisphere is low. Just take four to eight hundred, four hundred to eight hundred, and you'd probably be good. Now, if you have bad bone disease and you're under the care of a doctor and they have checked your vitamin D levels that are just really low, we do give higher doses. Sometimes we even go um, like a thousand every day. Um, but uh, for your over-the-counter average person, probably eight hundred is probably a good number. Okay. Uh, tell you what, let's uh, grab a call before we run out of time. Diane in St. Paul is calling, and Diane, what is your question? Yes, my question is, I have inflammation in my legs and arms, and I don't know if it's because I'm 65 years old. I've gone to a physical therapist and massage, and it just seems to be there all the time. Well, Diana, you know, inflammation is um, uh, kind of a, a general term. Um, it is your body's natural reaction to injury or long-term disease, but inflammation is the sign that something's up, <laughs> something's going on in your body. Now, it is not really like possible for people to just know that the cause of whatever your symptoms are are inflammatory. But there are a number of inflammatory conditions of your muscles. Um, by definition, myositis is, the, is inflammation of the myocytes or the muscles. There are some rheumatologic conditions that can cause that. There's one called PMR, polymyalgia rheumatica. There are arthritis kind of conditions. There are other polymyositis conditions all of whom would be treated by a rheumatologist. So my suggestion is to see a rheumatologist. We got the best group of three or four or five rheumatologists in the Twin Cities at Hennepin. I just have to give them a plug. Dr. Rawad Nasser, N-A-S-R, leads up a group of great rheumatologists. Um, so you might want to see one of them. Uh, and But it could be just aging. I say just aging. You could be getting like what used to not hurt now hurts. It could be aging. And so I would say, Yoga, um, exercises, meditation, walking, running, jogging, swimming, being active often is the thing to do to help body aches and pains and inflammatory conditions. All right. A couple of text messages uh, just came in. Here's one. Um, yeah, there's, oh, gee, there's a lot, aren't there? Here's one that says, any update on the PSA test numbers? There's no update, but we're still not sure what to make of them. Um, if you do choose to get screening, this is uh, to you men out there, um, generally you start at age 45-ish if you're a, a person of color and maybe age 50 if you're a white person. And if they, if they um, are rising or if they're high, then you might consider going to get a, 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 pro, a prostate biopsy. We currently use the cutoff of four as, the, as abnormal, but you know, 3.5 might be abnormal for you if one year ago it was 1.5. If it went from 1.5 to 3.5, both of them in the normal range. 
but that rose an awful lot in one year, then you might want to look into that. Whereas if you're a 4.5 and it stays 4.5 for year after year after year, even though that's abnormal, it probably isn't anything to worry about. So see your primary doctor. It's a very much an individualized decision on that. We are just about out of time. Maybe you quickly plug about the physical therapy. That seems to be a very yeah, important topic. Yeah, we're really talking about physical therapy a lot lately because they're so good at what they do. Check us out at myhealthymatters.org for lots of links and information, photos about physical therapy, myhealthymatters.org. And also, if you want to see somebody in Hennepin, maybe you need a primary doctor, maybe you want to see one of our physical therapists, check us out at 612 612- Eight seven three sixty nine sixty three. Maybe you're a, you might remember it this way six one two eight seven three my MD. And just an aside here for those that did not get in their questions answered today, we're going to do another open line show. We're next going to do week, it for right? two more weeks. You okay, can get good. your questions. Good, in. good deal. We'll see you again next week with more healthy matters here on eight three zero WCCO. T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest five G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.